Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Let's Get Started. In this episode, we are joined by Anik Dholakia to share with us the story of Edist, an edtech startup that is solving the unemployability problem. Can you imagine an online learning platform can capture user attention as opposed to Netflix, Instagram and PUBG? Do you want to get more insights on startup incubation and how you can make it to Y Combinator? Well, then let's jump into this episode without further ado. Yeah, sure, Avish. Let's get started. Let's talk about your uh, background and upbringing and education a bit. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? All right. Uh, so about myself, um, just to keep it short, uh, I studied uh, all across, I think. Um, so I studied both in the Gulf uh, for school as uh, uh, as well as India. And then I came back uh, to uh, India for uh, graduation, uh, where we both uh, studied together at IIIT Hyderabad. And uh, after that, I've just been working on startups. Uh, I've had two startups, so and Edist is my second startup right now that I'm working on. All right. So, what are you building right now at Edist? Okay. So, uh, Edist, uh, we, we are an edtech company, so we were primarily in the education space. Um, and so, we uh, run peer-to-peer online learning uh, boot camps for software uh, specific domains. So basically students can learn uh, software online uh, and uh, then get a job after that. Like primarily we have like two types of users. One is students who are already, who are currently in college, uh, who just want to you know prepare uh, for companies uh, based on like campus recruitment uh, rounds and things like that. And then we also have those type of students who either because their colleges don't have the placement support or they've graduated and still don't have a job. Um, so we run boot camps for them as well, so uh, they can learn uh, programming and then get a job. Got it. Nice. Yeah. And I'm curious to know how did you come up with this idea of helping students get jobs and you know upskilling them? Right. So uh, actually, uh, I think this idea is like started about four or five years back. Uh, the seeds of this idea before uh, I came to college and all, I had no idea that this problem even existed. So the problem in a nutshell is that, um, you know, if you look at the reports, um, anywhere between 7% to 15% of uh, engineers graduating uh, are employable. The remaining are not. And so I, we, I saw two issues over there. Uh, one is uh, it's a big market opportunity, yes, but it's also a societal problem. Uh, like what do the rest 93% or whatever, 85% of them do? And, you know, it's not like it's a small market. Like, uh, roughly speaking, about uh, you know 1.5 million uh, engineers uh, are there in India every year in college. So you know it's a big market in itself, and something has to be done about that. So uh, I came across this number when I was you know just in my final year uh, of graduation. So this it had been stuck in my mind for some time. Uh, although I didn't act on it, like in my first startup we were touring around a lot of colleges so the first startup was based on a lot of uh, entrepreneurship events that we would do that is um, do a lot of gamified workshops all offline uh, but you know these workshops would involve teaching uh, students about um, leadership about entrepreneurship about how to market themselves their ideas and so on um, and that's when i really you know got a chance to meet uh, a lot of students uh, from uh, tier 2 tier 3 private colleges and universities uh, where majority of Indians study um, for college. So uh, I met them there and, you know, slowly upon a lot of interaction, I figured out that, you know, even like the, the very basics of engineering aren't being taught uh, to them properly. Uh, they are not really equipped to be part of the workforce. 
and so the idea sort of sparked there um and then you know i ended up meeting my co-founders uh and one thing led to another and then we started up on edest wonderful that's a nice story uh given that you are an engineer yourself and you did uh, speak to a couple of students and you got the idea of working on this from the previous startup you were on yes uh, the industry that you're trying to attack is an edtech industry and it's a little different from what we are studying in what we study in colleges as engineering students uh, so i would love to know what steps did you take to prepare yourself for uh, venturing into an edtech industry right right sure so uh just to, just to give a little bit of background here uh when i was in college uh, i majored in electronics and communication so apart from uh, that uh, coursework that was there i also spent a lot of time volunteering for this organization called isec um so they're an international uh, student run organization and uh, so i was part of the hyderabad chapter and then i slowly like i spent about two and a half years there and in the last year i was a part of their executive committee as well uh, the hyderabad chapter and so um so i did have uh, a lot of exposure to students uh, outside of our college also um so i i would get to meet students from all across hyderabad uh, speak to them understand uh, how their you know college is uh, running how their coursework is going on uh, but yeah specifically about edtech um, i was always you know interacting with college students so education was uh, sort of always on mind but when it came to edtech like it's it's a very layered problem so like it becomes there are two three issues you know together which as opposed to let's say if you go to fintech or you know um any other business as such uh, you don't face these kind of issues generally um so I'll, i'll just tell you like one by one um so one of the major issues was i did not even know the student on ground like the user the end user who you're supposed to know in and out i didn't know them very well so when i was uh, in my final year um, uh, i met uh, who is now my co-founder but i met srinivas he himself has been in and around a lot of colleges he's been part of the higher education space for some time uh, being on the advisory boards of different colleges so uh, we were just chatting about this uh, about un- uh, the unemployability of engineers uh, speaking out a lot about this and so when we decided that you know we want to do something in this space and so and my third co-founder uh, that's uh, abhinandan i was chatting with him also that we want to do something like this together when we were in the ideation phase of this uh, what srinivas suggested was i should actually go and camp at one of the colleges uh, where they have this issue so it's uh, and that's when i realized the first issue that it's a scale problem so uh, i went to this college it's in a rural town in andhra pradesh called kakinada and the, the college's name is kakinada institute of engineering and technology kite k i e t um and i actually stayed there for about uh, 45 days uh, went to college with their faculty went to um, i i was stationed at their placement office so whatever placement initiatives they'd run i would be with them i i'd see all the different vendors coming in how uh, what are the kind of solutions they had uh, to the employability problem and you know couple of things unraveled at that point one was just i would say like privileged or how many resources we have in the top tier institutes that you know most of uh, the indian institutes don't have uh, the second thing was a huge language barrier um, so even though it's uh, all of these are english medium colleges students themselves prefer not to speak in english they prefer they speak in the local dialect uh, which pr- gets a problem when it comes to placements they are not able to open up uh, as well there that english culture is not there which is generally required in the mncs um, and the, the major problem though is a scale problem so, so just to give you perspective uh, every day uh, in kite about 8000 students walk in and walk out so because they have that many branches and that many 
um, you know, programs. They have a, and so 8,000 people walking in, walking out every day. And, you know, at the agenda for them, all of them is that eventually they should be able to get a job. So that's when, you know, the ed tech part came into it. Like we had to design a tech solution somehow uh, that would also take care of the scale while also giving, you know, uh, the personal attention that education requires. Those 45 days stationed at that college um, for me was very eye-opening. Uh, when I, I came back, described all of these stories and then the next time I went there, though it wasn't that long, um, I took Abhinandan with me also and then, you know, again and again, like the more you meet your users, the more you talk to them, uh, it's only when you talk to them face to face that you actually understand what their needs are. Got it, got it. So you did a lot of groundwork and went to Kite and understood the problems that the students are facing. Looking back at that visit, I would like to know more about these facilities that are in the top tier colleges that are not present in tier two TSC colleges. And if there are any other learnings or takeaways you had from this whole experience at Kite. Right, right. So uh, the two, three things that I really learned. Uh, what specifically for us was the bigger problem was uh, when you're trying to design a tech solution because we don't want to just address Kite, we want to address all such colleges. So when we're trying to design a solution like that with tech, uh, one thing we quickly realized was how mobile first uh, this generation is. Um, so and I think that's common across all uh, demographics. It's not just with the rural areas, but with the rural areas specifically, it's generally only mobile first, like it's exclusively mobile. You know, I mean, one thing that we all take for granted, like at least our generation, we grew up on email, we grew up on, you know, laptops or uh, PCs, like just like a physical keyboard with us, uh, not a mobile phone, not that form factor. And so, you know, when we launched our first uh, version of one of the products, like before the current product, the way it is, um, we did uh, email authentication. And we had a huge problem with email authentication because these students aren't really used to email. Like uh, that's when we sort of understood the wisdom behind the whole uh, OTP, uh, you know, mobile uh, registration, registered by mobile phones, uh, because generally these students uh, are not good at email. And but the email is has a lot of implications. Uh, like after uh, after a while, when I started interacting with other people, like for example, placement companies, uh, assessment companies who actually run assessments for students and then uh, pass on their resumes to um, recruiters. I, what they told me was the exact same experience that, you know, oftentimes students miss out on a job opportunity because they never received the email uh, for that opportunity because their email was incorrectly spelled. Um, and, you know, one or two doing this is fine. It's an anomaly. But when 20%, 30% of your audience does this, you know, it's a design problem. You know, it's not just, you know, a problem that, uh, you know, it's not like a mistake. Let's say it's they generally just not used to email. Uh, but they have to be in order to, you know, get jobs. So it's it's a catch-22 there for us. Like we could have done OTP, but then you miss out on, you know, them being ready for placements. So like uh, that was one of the key things that we realized. The second, uh, again, was uh, the, the entire lack of culture around, you know, coding, around the curiosity, finding out things. So like one thing I've noticed at all top institutes, uh, most of them, uh, the experiences remain consistent that they are where they are, uh, a little bit probably because of the coursework, but mainly because of their peer group. Um, like uh, we famously say that uh, most of the coding that we learned, like Abhinandan and I, we keep saying that we learned mostly in the corridors of the IIIT hostel rather than, you know, the actual classes. And the reason is the peer group, the the, the culture with the seniors uh, over there, they are also 
you know sharing there's a, a lot of wisdom that's you know given forward to the juniors and you know that compounds over time uh, what was very surprising for us was even though like so many students like i said 8000 students walk in walk out the, the, the amount of information shared between let's say branches or between uh, you know juniors and seniors was so limited that you could actually have two people uh, having lunch together from different branches from different years uh, but not talking to each other about just what happened at college today which i found very uh, you know very interesting it it, it felt like uh, you know whoever is going to solve the problem of employability also has to take on the problem of building a culture of sharing of curiosity in these colleges i remember a lot of uh, in our college a lot of uh, you know information was shared just because you know somebody from our batch was doing it or somebody from our seniors did it and you know that's how we figured out oh this is how we can get placed at so and so company or you know that's another way of getting an internship um that kind of information sharing isn't really present like so these two things like really struck me uh the whole mobile first thing and you know this culture thing because those were very keenly then included in the design of whatever solution we had to make i think earlier when we were discussing about this uh you also learned that sometimes given uh, we are solving unemployability for uh, engineers right now right uh there is a lot of context and technology that these students are missing given an example of uber or ola right right design right. problem so yeah so yeah so that's i would say uh this is a function of you know just where you know you are probably born or where you actually go to uh college for for like uh we've had instances where you know we've uh, for example called uh, a ba- a batch of ours to our office so we we do this like last minute um you know final sort of finishing school for a lot of students and uh, what we like noticed was a lot of students don't have uh, the rural students especially don't have the context of like the city uh, crowd uh, and through no fault of their own like just uh, to give an example of you know we have all of these apps over here like ola zomato i mean these probably are not needed in the rural towns as much but these generally tend to come up in interviews or interview settings because they are inherently technological so an interviewer could just end up asking hey if you had to design uh, ola cabs or uber cabs like you know back end system what would you design it like and to someone who's not even heard of uber um, you know how are they going to answer that question so you know these things uh, we take for granted in the city uh, you know these apps these softwares and this hasn't reached there uh, in the rural towns as yet so you know they even though they might go to like probably the best university in and around their area uh if they don't have these kind of uh, apps they generally at a disadvantage so this is another interesting thing we found like um it it comes back to the culture uh, to be built in these colleges that you now also pro- somewhere have to tackle this whole rural urban divide at places um uh, which uh, again we we try to do it some places try to figure out how do we suggest to colleges to do that um but yeah it's an interesting divide uh, and you know i've also sort of uh, we we keep discussing at the office at you know how do we you know overcome that also um so yeah that that's an interesting divide too yeah that is an interesting divide and i'll be looking forward to how you're reducing that barrier uh, with edist yeah coming to the product that you're trying to build the technological solution that you're building for these students right can you share a story of how you found the product market fit for this solution or this product sure so um uh, just to define a little bit about product market fit like i think mark andreessen says that you know product market fit is when um customers keep demanding more and more 
and you're not able to keep up with the demand um and you know that's when you know you've really hit it because you know somehow or the other you have to produce uh, because the buyers waiting um so to be honest i don't think we've reached that level yet i think it's uh, it's product market fit is one of those things where you know when you hit it you know you've hit it so it's probably somewhere around the corner it always feels like that um but yes we had a good amount of validation of our approach back i think in 2017 2018 around that time so 2017 we launched uh, this peer to peer bootcamp so the idea was that you know it's because it's a scale problem um and again we kept reflecting back on our personal experiences on how we learned programming uh we felt that you know just clubbing everybody together and you know uh, thinking of all of them in a certain base level and saying you know this is the medicine for all that you know everybody has to do these many exercises um on coding and you know learn this much coding um would not work because that's what traditional universities and colleges are trying to do so we uh, came up uh, with the idea of how do we you know try to help students help each other so like create a social network slash p2p network where students can interact with each other help themselves learn coding and again because they are uh, you know from the same you know demographics uh, the way they will be able to explain to each other is much better than you know probably we would be able to explain so this was the hypothesis we started with you know a, a beta batch of just about 80 students back in 2017 and uh, one of the first thing that we wanted to know was how engaged students would be uh, because you know again if we have to do the hard work of engaging students uh, then we know we are not really like we're just another classroom then we're not uh they come up with a solution so when we launched this course it was a basic programming course a gear towards uh, employability we said you know let them complete the course and then we'll start connecting them to companies um we within the first two weeks we saw really good response from this batch of students like we got uh, engagement rates that's something we track um, you know very very religiously at our office um so we got engagement rates north of 50 minutes uh, now it's uh, like comfortably about uh, above 80 minutes but back in the day it was like 50 minutes above uh, which was a, uh, a good thing for us because what we'd estimated uh, from the reports like is generally students cumulatively spend about 50 minutes to 1 hour on social media every day so if we are able to make it as addictive as let's say social media then we've hit a you know nerve somewhere so we uh, that's what we kept on you know observing uh, and so that batch uh, turned out to be quite successful um, like just by that batch we were able to get uh, Uh, roughly about uh, 50 placements uh, and just to give you perspective uh, that batch previously like the, to the year previous to that uh, that college had about uh, five placements that year so you know the next year we were able to almost like 10x the placements now the previous year obviously there were some other economic issues and things hence not everybody got placed but we'd like to believe that we made you know a significant improvement in the placement culture of that college uh, what was equally uh, you know uh, surprising for us and you know one thing that led us to a lot of validation was the top 3 students of this batch went on to a joint product based companies so you know uh, generally uh, most of these students joined services based companies with an average package of like let's say uh, 3 lakhs to 3.6 lakhs per annum um, these top 3 students uh, with a little bit of extra coaching uh, got into product based companies with a package of 7.2 lakhs per annum uh, which incidentally was the highest package that that college had seen before so you know all in all like wow. that yeah thanks a lot so uh, the, the beta version uh, we knew it kicked off because uh, because of these two three results that the placements increased drastically students were really engaged like we we had these anecdotes where you know uh, let's say uh, abhinandan for example he is a night owl so he likes to be online at the night but when he was online on our platform he'd see uh, you know two three students still coding still practicing 
and uh, you know when was the last time you heard that about coursework in a college right students generally shy away from that but we had here students who are going out of the way staying online at 11 pm 1 am in the morning coding um, if you get up uh, at let's say 6 am 7 am there's still somebody online so we knew that there's something there there's this something that's making it click um, and then when you know finally when these three students uh, you know got in uh, to a product company that was uh, that was very very gratifying to us yeah that's a huge impact and ek i believe like 10x in the college's placements from uh, in just one year and creating a platform that is so sticky that people are uh, engaging for more or roughly the same amount of time they spent on social media you know making it so sticky as as good as social media is such a huge win for you congratulations on that thanks thanks and in fact like i just like to add one thing here like uh well, that's one of our like key product decisions that we you know we keep saying that our major competition really isn't uh, the next online course out there or we feel that our major competition today uh is you know your netflix your amazon prime your pubg like they are the ones that are i would say hijacking or you know taking up the students attention today so our like because we are online our major competition is them because a student can very easily just open a new tab and start watching netflix like how do we provide something on our platform that he doesn't do that right so th- that's since day one like the sticky part has been you know in consideration for us so what is the one thing that is making it so sticky that is making students not switch to the other tab on netflix or go play pubg and stay on the platform and work and code and prepare themselves for the job so uh, there are two parts to that um, one thing we've noticed is students in the pre final and final year are much much more engaged uh, than students in their you know first or second year um, and i think the reason for that is fairly obvious that you know the reality of placements dawns on you when you're in your third and fourth year so there is this you know side inherent urge in people to you know take things more seriously especially when they're in the final year um, so there's some intrinsic motivation there uh, that you know the works well for us the second thing uh, you know just i think as i said like in these colleges and you know in these um the, the that demographic specifically there's generally not many platforms where students can you know compete with each other and you know just collaborate with each other on anything that's to do with academics and that's what we did we we made the entire process very gamified like we make sure that you know everybody gets a winning feeling in the day so if i did if i cracked like it's a five coding challenges i actually feel that you know i have accomplished something so it's not so self driven uh, in the sense that the only self driven part is i have to log in i see so many of my friends programming so i i want to program um but if i'm stuck i can reach out to them also all on the platform so you can chat with your friends at any time um if you are stuck and your friends can't help you our mentors are there online and so you know that kind of a competition like we've just you know picked uh, uh, a lesson out of all of these apps that we've gamified it like we make sure that we put streaks leaderboards those things we made sure that students can chat with each other at any time so that you know if they're stuck it, it's almost like a classroom environment where you know not everybody listens to the lecturer you know you always have students talking to each other because they are on the same wavelength they understand from each other so i i believe the major thing that's you know driving it is the sense of competition we create but also the ability for students to collaborate with each other you know just reach out to each other we see a very interesting phenomenon on the platform like initially when any batch starts the first two weeks is when our mentors are most busy um, so, and slowly like after the first two weeks the amount of you know support that our mentors need to provide you know exponentially goes down 
because we see the top students start helping out you know the remaining students uh, which is a great learning experience for them because they like to uh, you know if they are helping others then they also learn a lot themselves uh, but also this phenomenon that you know you are always more comfortable to talk to your you know someone of your peer group rather than always reach out to a mentor so uh, that's uh, i don't know i think probably some research needs to be done done there on some so, uh, you know social economics or something but uh, that's an interesting phenomenon we found on the platform amazing that that's yeah. really gratifying i mean yeah. that is so amazing <laughs> yeah yeah so anik what is the if you can quickly tell me what is the user base right now and uh, what is the goal for edist in the next uh, year in fy20 right so uh, right now we've like uh, just onboarded uh, i think roughly on the platform there are about 2500 students and uh, we've we are at that space where we're trying to still figure out the best courses we can launch like a promise we made to ourselves is we want to launch courses that you know impact students employability that you know after doing a course they can actually pick up a job somewhere like they can appear for an interview and actually apply either that's through us or you know on their own so we're building a lot of courses like currently we have about four courses on the platform um and like our target is to get as many more courses like uh, i think last we discussed we wanted about 20 more courses by the end of this year and so we have 2500 users we have about uh, 10 colleges partnering with us uh, we want to get that to 50 colleges by the end of this year um, and so 50 colleges would mean anywhere between 5000 to 7500 uh, users by the end of this year depending on you know the size of um, you know how many colleges sign up with us got it got it so anik i would like to shift gears a bit right now here is where we'll we'll try to get more insights from you as sure. uh, as an experienced entrepreneur for the other people who are out there my experience yeah. is all over like 3 4 years so don't uh, refer to me as an experienced entrepreneur so there uh, there are yeah. some things that you know that other people might not know so in in this section what i call is assume i am a grandfather and uh, yeah so i do not know much about the current startup space and since i know edist has been into y combinator and uh, the there are a lot of people out there who wouldn't know about y combinator or what is an incubator and things sure. around that so can you help me understand what is an incubator and why as an entrepreneur it makes sense to apply for one all right so uh, an incubator i think it's taken many definitions over the years but generally the idea is that you know an incubator uh, gives you a deal uh, so that deal uh, is like generally in the form of funds they'll give you some money uh, in exchange for some equity so they take a certain share in your company and uh, in exchange uh, for that like apart from the money they also make sure that uh, a uh, you know they expose you to uh, a lot of mentors uh, in your space or uh, generally in the space of let's say finance uh, legal you know these things that are really required to run a company um, they also help you meet other investors who you know uh, generally incubators have like an incubation period so they'll run for like about 2 months 3 months some go up to 6 months Uh, and in this period uh, through the help of mentors they help you grow and at the end of that they'll help you again reach out to more investors so that you know you can raise your next round of money and you know then keep growing after that so generally that's the deal now every incubator has their own thing that uh, uh, has their own terms and has their own like usps on uh, how uh, they end up helping you uh, some could have a really good network some could be very focused on a domain like there could be like a fintech incubator that focuses very specifically on introducing you to certain banks and making sure that they adopt your solution so again that depends on incubator to incubator got it so um, so incubators 
provide certain knowledge, certain network, resources, mentors, is how uh, you and generally it, like right? and they're, they're trying to accelerate your business. Like so they're trying to, they're also called accelerators. So they're in the X amount of months that you're with them, they're trying to help you grow more than what you would have done by yourself. Got it. So they're also some sort of catalyst, you can say. Yes. 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 Okay. And uh, do you think approaching a top end venture capitalist VC could also provide all these knowledge networks, money instead of going to an incubator? So, if yes, then what is the entry barrier? How? Why would uh, someone not go? Uh, would not be able to reach a top end VC? Okay. So. Just practically speaking, from you know somebody who's trying to anybody who like who's listening wants to start up, starting up uh, you know has a ton of things uh, involved. Like you know, especially if you're like let's say if you worked at a company, there's like you take so much for granted that already you know works, um, like the legal works, the HR works, everything just works, right? Um, so when you're starting up, like the initial few months is when you're just trying to just build your product, ship it, get user feedback. Um, and so at this time, you know, if you're trying to reach out to VCs, like reaching out to VCs, uh, uh, any venture capital firm is a full-time job in itself. Like uh, generally speaking, you know, the CEO's job, for example, becomes a full-time fundraising job after a point where you, all you're doing is just going after VCs, uh, trying to get them to, you know, get, uh, you know, give you funds uh, for a favorable, you know, equity exchange. And, you know, the higher up you go, the more, you know, you're just talking about raising finance for your company. So, you know, at the starting phase, uh, generally why people prefer to go for incubators, accelerators and all is the application process is really simple. So, you know, you can really focus all your time in building your product rather than just trying to, you know, score VC meetings, um, trying to go through their, you know, rounds of a meeting with the analyst, then meeting with a partner, meeting with the managing partner and so on. So uh, at an early stage, uh, you know, it becomes difficult to do that. However, having said that, you know, a lot of uh, VC firms have come that are geared towards early stage startups and they don't have this much, um, what do you say, you know, like this much bureaucracy or rather these many rounds to go through. Um, and I, I think VC firms do that for a certain reason because they, you know, that works best for them. So, but for early stage startups, you know, unless, you know, you have a, let's say a VC in your network or you know someone who knows someone who can make a warm introduction, uh, going the cold route, uh, trying to, you know, mail your pitch decks to many VCs. Uh, I won't say it's, uh, you know, it's useless. It's just very, very time consuming. So uh, if someone's able to do that, that's great. I've just found it very uh, difficult to, you know, be focusing on your product while also trying to raise money uh, when, you know, at the start of uh, your journey, by definition, you are resource trapped. You don't have that big a team. You know, each co-founder is taking up multiple roles at the same time. So uh, the best way of, you know, probably just getting started is if you have your own savings, that's good. Uh, or just through family and friends, if you're able to raise some money. Um, I think they famously say that if you're not even able to uh, convince your family and friends to put in money, then you're going to have a really hard time selling your business to anybody else. Um, so generally that's the conventional advice that, you know, you try to raise a little bit, just enough so that you, know, you can sustain for let's say six months, one year while you're trying to build your product and then approach incubators or early stage VCs. That's the, you know, conventional advice. Got it. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, now that I'm convinced that, okay, an incubator route would be best for me if I am an early stage entrepreneur. Can you share a bit more about how to apply for an incubator such as Y Combinator? Uh, and what are the programs over there? Are there any remote programs for people in India? Right. So each uh, incubator has their like own application process. 
um like i remember one incubator that we were considering applying to had uh, in their application process a psychometric test so each one of the co-founders would have to take like i think it's called disc psychometric test or something which we found quite interesting like you know uh, so anyways so like they had that uh, some others have you have to write an entire business plan give a pitch deck you know and so on and so forth some some places you have to do all your cost estimation um so for the majority of incubators i haven't applied so i won't know the exact application process uh, for y combinator uh, there's a it's quite a simple application process because uh, they recognize i think that you know startups are tough to do uh, and you can't be you know filling out uh, you know form after form fill, uh, and giving interview after interview so it's a very simple uh, i think it's probably a two page you know form that you have to fill uh, it's uh, online and the best part about that form is you know the more the more you start answering the questions the more you get to know about your business so you know there are certain conversations you have that uh, you probably would not have had because nobody has asked you those questions something as simple as you know uh, who which competitor are you most afraid of um you know you'd never speak like that in terms of that in your co-founders because you always want to be optimistic you know whenever a question like that is asked you know it's it's a little bit of a hard question so it's good that they make you ask that and you know once you uh, get through the written round uh, so that is you fill the form they review it um uh, and once you get through that you get called for an interview in person so it's a 10 minute uh, interview uh, in person at their uh, mountain view office uh, and i think their sf office as well of late what they've started doing is they've started conducting interviews uh, abroad as well so for example because of the huge number of applicants from india uh, for their summer uh, 19 batch they actually uh, flew down their partners to india to take the interview uh, because you know flying out all the candidates to us i think was just too cumbersome so they've started doing that uh, yc does not have a an india branch uh, at least right now they do have a china branch so like there's a separate y combinator china so um but as far as remote programs go I, they run uh, this very brilliant uh, online course called uh, startup school so um, back in 2017 we did startup school uh, also it was a really really good experience uh, the amount of mentors the amount of uh, you know just uh, the, the amount of information that you get from those videos are, are really great so they run this online course which i think anybody can apply to it's free for anybody to attend and i think it's really worth it for you know just to make that time investment and going through that online course uh so that's their remote um uh, option if anybody is interested in that all right so if you're selected for y combinator you have to physically go to us to attend the winter or summer school right right yes so there are two schools uh, one is in summer one's in winter it's like a three month thing so it's uh, it's a it's a three month thing at the end of it uh, culminates in a, a demo day so the demo day is pretty unique at yc that um they get all the companies to present what they have done in the past 3 months in terms of growth uh they talk to and it, it's a very select crowd of investors that they call uh, and then you get to get a lot of warm introductions to a lot of investors um and you know you get uh, to raise money after that but like those investor introductions are really really great uh they require like especially for like remote companies uh, they require when i say remote means like based out of us they do require that you know at least one or two of the founding team should be there in person um being there so their idea also i works around uh, forming uh, a good peer network like uh, when we were at yc for example just our cohort of you know tech companies was was brilliant like they would they are all working on different things and each you know keeps growing every week and so if somebody else is growing every week you 
sort of feel the pressure of yourself growing every week so everybody pushes uh, everyone else to experiment to grow and uh, you have to so for us we had to like you know handle that you know one of our one of the founding member would be there and uh, the other two would be here trying to manage the day to day stuff uh, the day to day you know uh, just the operations over here but yeah they they do ask at least one founder to be there at uh, all times got it so uh, while you were there can you remember and ha- describe what does a day look like at yc right so i'll i'll describe to you what the day looks like for an indian yc company um what we do is my day would like generally start at 6 am when the day at india would end i take the daily updates uh, so i uh, and specifically you know working on the product uh, part of it so i take the daily updates uh, i'd go through do a lot of testing uh, write more specifications on what should come out next check up analytics and you know doing all of this i also do a lot a bit of course content so make a little bit of course content and next thing you know it's uh, the india team is already awake Uh, at that time and you know you hand this over to them uh, hear from them what they are going to work for the day um, take a quick nap get up again and you know they are done for the day it's back it's your turn again so that's how the daily uh, routine was for us at yc um, like when srinivas was uh, there it's roughly the same um, in fact it was actually tougher for him uh, because uh, we were also hiring a lot in january and so the final round uh, would always be taken by srinivas so he'd have to wake up at these ungodly hours of 2 am 3 am just to take a final round of interview because we are not going to ask a candidate to wake up at 2 am india time right so we had to uh, get uh, srinivas to get up at that time and take interviews so yeah it's it's really tough for uh, people who are on the you know the wrong uh, time zone per se um, uh, but yeah it the, the three months don't feel like three months at all it hardly feels like three weeks uh, because it just goes by that fast um yeah so that's how, uh, and uh, so th- that was like the daily uh, thing from our side but uh, from yc side we had to meet once a week with them for a dinner and at this dinner they'd call up um, a guest and their guests were just brilliant like these are people uh, so they have this term in silicon valley or i don't know if everywhere else also this is term called a signal to noise ratio where you know in any talk how much you know signal are you getting versus how much you know unnecessary things you're getting so every talk that they you know used to organize had a huge you know a very good amount of signal versus noise so uh, it be all actionable insights that you can do like they would uh, I, at one point they got the ceo of discord uh, which is like a, a really big chat application for gamers and he was talking to us about very technical stuff about how they scaled up their uh, the tech stack for you know about millions and millions of users uh, and n- next week we'll have someone else who you know talk to us about very specifically about how would you go about hiring someone in software for an edtech company so it's very tactical advice that they'd give at these dinners um and apart from giving the tactical advice the common theme was how hard it is to run startups um and so you know when you have that an accomplished person coming in uh, telling you how hard it was for them to do uh, and all of these talks are off the record so you know they generally get uh, they generally open up a bit more tell us a little bit of the inside stuff that they can't really tell out in the open so uh, you know just hearing all of that knowing that you know whatever we are going through someone's already gone through before uh, was really inspiring and also it wasn't just inspiring they would give us a lot of tactical advice as well uh, about you know how you go about hiring how you you know structure your company early on so that was their weekly uh, dinner and then they have this other thing called office hours uh, two types of office hours one is a group office hours where you know everybody in your cohort gets up assembles 
discusses their updates uh, and you know generally in every op- group of officers one or the other company would have something very interesting to share that by the next officer every other company has done the same thing like i remember one company had just hacked their way through some uh, facebook chatbot messaging uh, ads like they found a good hack around it um, and by the next group of officers everybody was doing the same hack so it's a good way of sharing knowledge and then they do have individual officers uh, that will be very specific to your company about let's say you're having trouble um you know uh, getting an investor on board or you know writing a good go to market strategy on how you just you know uh, get over media and things like that so they they have specific people for that who you can talk to um and so that's an individual officer so generally these three type of engagements uh, is what they had in our batch but again they keep changing that in every batch uh, to suit the needs of the batch that's really wonderful okay so at the end of this 3 months of uh, incubation you have a demo day right as you mentioned yeah yes uh, so can you give me an idea of what percentage of pitches at the demo day end up getting funded all right so i i think it's pretty high percentage uh, i wouldn't wouldn't know the you know the official stats uh, but by definition if you are in uh, y combinator you already got funded by yc uh, so and especially for remote companies that amount like lasts a good amount of time um i think generally everybody ends up getting some amount of funding or the other like i have not interacted with anyone who's not raised any money after demo day um and this could be like a week after demo day like some people close their round within a week some people take up to a year to close their round so generally whoever's not got funded after demo day is an exception it's either by choice or they're just not getting the terms that they like and i think that's the other part about yc companies that they're just so resilient that you know if they don't get the terms they want they would rather not raise money put their head down work build in of value then go and raise money uh, rather than you know just taking money for the sake of it so uh, we heard those stories as well got it so are there any other good incubators or good incubation programs that you know other than yc so yc for us was special because like we all the amount of content that they put out there um their their podcast is incidentally a really great podcast i keep listening to them all the time so uh, for us we were always aiming at yc a close uh, you know second or third was 500 startups and tech stars so we never ended up applying to them ever um but we heard good things about both of them uh, i have not interacted with any alumni of theirs or um you know any partners of theirs so i i wouldn't be able to say you know how uh, good or how efficient they are but generally like that's what we heard that after yc you have finance startups and tech stars which you should consider applying to got it wonderful so that's pretty much what we have in our section of actionable insights or right. assume i'm a grandfather and help me start up sure <laughs> i i hope i'll be able to help uh, grandpa ravish yeah thank you so much son <laughs> <laughs> okay so coming to a bit about you now we have talked about right. edest we have talked about yeah. uh, some of the learnings uh now we will talk about your journey and a couple of things i want to know about you right so given that you you started as a bootstrap uh, company and as a bootstrap entrepreneur mm. how did you manage your living how did you manage your costs uh, can you share the playbook of what you did to manage uh, to stay lean as okay. as bootstrap yeah right so uh, i started right after college um, and so i just took a little bit of uh, investment from uh, home just enough so that because so the first startup wasn't really a tech startup it was just uh, you know an event space startup so we just needed a little bit just to you know get started uh, and then we had enough to sustain our you know office expenses and you know things like that like every event because we were doing events at colleges 
it was self sustaining uh, for a while um before uh, but the, the again the catch over there is that it's not very scalable so you can just do an event at a college you are enough but uh, you can't do 10 events at a college uh, at different college simultaneously because um to build that kind of a team takes a lot of time uh, so we weren't able to scale it well enough so initially like i took a little bit uh, you know of an investment from home uh, and then was able to get sustainable through uh, the first startup uh, and sort of continued the same again for the second one like i had some savings from the first startup uh put it out uh, some of it in adest um put up a little bit of amount uh, f- uh again from home uh, but the good part about uh, adest was that you know because we were let's say we were kite college um you know the first time that we put out a product uh, we made sure that we weren't launching it free uh, we started charging from day one so uh, as soon as we had a product we always had revenue in adest so we've been fortunate in that regard um i know uh, that you know th- that doesn't work uh the same way for all startups um but we were fortunate there that we had revenue from day one so uh the way we managed was uh to we were at least all business expenses were covered there and you know generally what i personally try to do was try to stay lean in the sense um so for example uh what i had to cut back on rather was just uh, a lot of trips actually because um my friend circle from college from school you know generally meet up on trips because i guess uh, you know when people are working uh, they get decent holidays i won't say they get a lot of holidays but they get holidays you know they, they meet up they catch up uh, more often than not um, for us a the holidays weren't really holidays because uh, i still remember on like even on independence day because our co-working space was closed we had to you know uh, not go to office but we still managed to go to somebody's house and continue working so uh, we were always on in that regard uh so getting a holiday itself was difficult for us uh for the first two years but also uh just the entire um what do you say uh the cost of you know traveling somewhere uh and for some reason like all our batchmates seem to uh go for international trips and stuff so just that is something i missed out on uh and i i just avoided uh, those kind of trips uh avoided buying anything fancy as such uh, uh just stayed lean basically uh vc's founder um, paul graham has this saying uh, be ramen profitable that is just earn enough so that you know you can feed yourself ramen or in our context it be maggi noodles so i think for the first two years we were just trying to be uh you know ramen profitable earn enough so that you can just survive on um you know maggi noodles and things like that uh so that's how we did so yeah uh the other thing that we did was uh you know not get like take any holidays uh, as such so that was the other reason why we didn't we weren't able to uh i i did i wasn't able to you know join many trips and things with my friends yeah yeah you were sharing a story with me that uh, for the first one and a half to two years yeah so the work, work week yeah. yeah yeah so the work schedule actually in the first uh two years was because see you have to understand like all three founders were all doing i think the work of three people each uh, minimum uh, like abhinandan is is the genius i'd say where you know he handled both front end back end devops support everything together i was working on course content uh, srinivas is uh, doing both uh, you know marketing sales bd everything together while also making sure finance legal works so for us we were always executing like the only time we weren't executing was on sunday uh, where we'd be ideating so it's we never had a break from edes like it's either ideating or executing sundays was for ideation uh, and monday to saturday was execution so uh, never an off day at edes for us right uh, awesome so um uh, you also mentioned that uh, you were lucky to be 
in a positive revenue since day one. Um, yeah. Like what? So what? What is the ticket size, or what is what? How much is a user or a college paying you to be on the platform? Paying Edis to be on the platform? Right. So we've come up with multiple models actually. So we're still trying to pinpoint what our actual, you know, you could say lifetime value per user is, or you know, ticket size per user is. So for just like to give you perspective, uh, we've launched course as low as six hundred rupees. Uh, this is like our first uh, alpha launch that we did. um and so we have launched a course as low as that uh, our highest selling course goes for about uh, 15000 rupees so it goes as high as that also so but generally uh, today our major source of revenue is from colleges colleges sign up on a bulk deal and that's a like a college to college uh, you know relationship basis so everybody signs up on a bulk deal uh, where they you know onboard let's say 200 or 300 students onto our platform um we also uh, charge a little bit from companies who are looking for niche skills so for example the product companies i mentioned uh, they are looking for you know students who are already good at data structures algorithms uh, and you know uh, some you know skill set let's say like a front end web development back end web development so they are willing to pay, pay a premium to get these students um so they there we work on a referral fee based model so you know overall uh, it, it, it today like our users are either a you know a specific individual user who just signs up on a website or it's a college who we work a deal with and get their users on board and uh, once they have done our course either they get placed through their campus or uh, we place them to our partnered companies and the partner company uh, depending on you know what kind of company it is they may or may not pay us uh, for the uh, candidate got it got yeah. it so coming back to you um, yeah. how do you keep yourself motivated when you know this this road entrepreneurship journey is you know very uncertain it's kind of get it gets kind of frustrating at times and it's a really an uphill journey as you as you might experienced so how do you handle such moments when you're feeling low and what helps you keep motivated to you know push through and keep going on uh, entrepreneurship actually becomes lonely at a point if you you know don't have the right people around you like we've had those points like i've been very fortunate to have uh, the right set of co-founders uh, with me who you know who all trying to tackle the same problem uh, and i think the motivation comes from the problem uh, i think you know a lot of people ask why should you want to start up and you know some people say money and money has never really been the motivation i think uh, you know there are uh, it doesn't seem to me that uh, entrepreneurship is the best way to make money uh, i don't know i think there are better ways although i i'm not sure of that but uh, yeah money what, can't what be what are these better ways What are these? I, I mean, I don't. I I see a, a lot of time some guy becomes a Bitcoin million millionaire or you know whatever. So I think those are the better ways probably. Uh, but generally, I mean, uh, see, uh, startups by definition like only one in a hundred succeed, right? So you know if your startup clicks is when you know you are going to get that big or you know make that much money. I mean, generally the better way to make money is be a venture capital, right? Be in VC. A VC always wins, right? Startups, ninety nine of them lose out. So a VC would always win. but the point is uh, you know if you don't have the right set of co-founders uh, it can get very lonely at times and so we were very f- fortunate to have like you know the right set of people around us um, the other thing is you have to be really in love with the problem like i i think what should motivate you is you know you should feel that you can add more value and you should feel for that value and then only get in um, you know if you don't feel enough for adding that value to a certain value chain uh, then you're probably not going to you know last too long because the prob the solution keeps changing like the way you're trying to address the problem keeps always changing but the problem will remain constant 
um, till you solve it, obviously. So uh, for us, like just that problem of, uh, you know, people not getting the right sort of job because uh, they, they've just not had enough exposure or they've not, uh, they've just been born, you know, in a not, not so fortunate place or in not such a privileged place. Like that was for us uh, the problem that kept going. And for us, you know, in every meeting, in every, you know, uh, co-founder meeting, wherever we are we're always together, we always talk about the user and, you know, it all just keep trying to pile on uh, what are the problems faced by the user because, uh, you know, once we start writing those downs, uh, what happens to us is we realize that our problems aren't as big as the user's problem. So uh, that sort of helps us out there. Uh, like we all feel for, you know, uh, the, the student uh, not being able to get a job, which means that they are not able to support their family, which means the family has to probably go into debt or, you know, they have to start taking up odd jobs and so on and so forth. So that social angle thing kind of always motivates us uh, all the time. Got it. So what you're saying is the mission keeps you moving, the mission that yes. you're trying to achieve. Yeah. So uh, looking looking back at all these uh, things that you have seen in the last three or four years uh, in the startup world, uh, especially at Edist, can you think of one decision that during your startup journey you feel you regretted the most? Okay, that's a good question. Um, like, I'm actually interested in knowing what my co-founders would answer to that one. Uh, for me, uh, I've generally not had that, uh, you know, that kind of a moment. Like, I sometimes, like, very, very rarely do, you know, look back and think about, you know, what would have happened if I had taken a job? Like, how would, it's just a thought, it's not a regret as such, but it's just, what would have happened if I was in corporate at some point? How would it have worked out? But then, I don't know, it's just, I think probably my friend circle, most of the people are always cribbing about their jobs. So I don't feel that much regret also as such. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's common across the board. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Anik, uh, you also get a lot of knowledge by listening to podcasts, right? Yes. yes. And can you share the top three podcasts that you frequently listen to that you have learned the most from? Okay, uh, so number one has to be uh, Y Combinator's podcast. I really like the, their host, Craig Cannon, uh, who I actually incidentally met uh, at YC. Uh, they do a lot of uh, you know subjects and things so I, I like uh, YC's podcast uh, the other one that I like is Seth Godin recently released a podcast called Akimbo um, that was good although I haven't finished the entire thing but Akimbo was good uh, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, revisionist history was another good one uh, so I like that as well and just generally here and there I try to keep uh, you know listening to some episodes uh, across the board got it wonderful is there any learning or any message that you'd like to share with the listeners, with fellow entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've uh, come that far away that I can, you know, start uh, telling fellow entrepreneurs what to do. But it's just, I mean, if, if there are fellow entrepreneurs, uh, I just like to, you know, tell them to keep doing what they're doing and, uh, you know, just keep persevering on. I think no amount of motivation is ever enough. So, yep, uh, that, that's what I'd just try to tell them. Yes. Sure. Wonderful. All right, Anik. Thank you so much for sharing all these wonderful insights with us, helping us understand how you are building a dist and how do you manage yourself and how the journey has been so far. And especially about helping us, helping us understand how incubation works for the startup world. Uh, thanks a lot, Ravish. Like, I think uh, it's a brilliant initiative what you've taken. I'm a fan of your podcast now. I'm, I've been listening since the last two episodes. I hope you do a lot many more episodes. I'll be subscribing. and. I just want to tell your users also, please share this podcast. I think uh, he's doing something really cool and uh, I think more people deserve to listen to it. Thank you so much, Anish. 
all the best with it and hope you reach your goals thank you so much thank you so much very